Cairo, Seattle. Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, stand-up comedian and New York Times best-selling author, Phoebe Robinson. My first taste of Phoebe, ew, I'm not going to say that sentence, I'm going to say it a different way. I first learned about Phoebe, that's better, from her hilarious podcast turned HBO show, Two Dope Queens that she co-hosted with former Daily Show correspondent Jessica Williams. This year, she has a new show on Comedy Central called Doing the Most with Phoebe Robinson. And this little busy bee released her third book this week. It's called Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes. Phoebe's favorite tacos in the whole wide world come from a taqueria in Copenhagen, which is 4,500 miles away from Mexico. So I chat with the Mexican-American chef owner, Rosio Sanchez, about the challenges of opening a Mexican restaurant in Denmark and her continuing effort to educate the locals on how to eat a taco. Do you ever see anyone using a knife and a fork to eat a taco? All the time. Even now. Even now. But first, my conversation with Phoebe Robinson. Phoebe's new book is extra special. Because it's the first book published through her new imprint with Plume and Penguin Random House. It's called Tiny Reparation Books. Her goal is to bring more diversity to the publishing world. What is the significance of the name? What is Tiny Reparations? And what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to showcase? Jessica and I used to always joke on Two Dope Queens that we're too ignorant to get like the real reparations, but we can get these sort of like tiny reparations in regular everyday life. And so with that in mind, I just want this imprint to be sort of my way of giving back. And I've had such a really enjoyable time being an author You know, I just never wanted anyone to go through what I went through in 2015 when I was shopping around my book and people were were telling Robert, hey, you know, books written by funny black women don't sell. They aren't relatable. Nobody wants to read this. I just never wanted anyone who was submitting a manuscript to me to be discouraged for that reason. Like if I don't buy your book, it's not because you're a woman, you're queer, you're a person of color. It has nothing to do with that. It just might not be the right fit. For the people who are on the roster, we have 11 books, including mine, which is very exciting. And it's a whole host of things. We have some poetry. We have some nonfiction. We have a Marsha P. Johnson biography that's going to be coming out. Um, We have a lot going on. It's really exciting. And I hope that this goodwill will spread and that these authors will have their way of paying it for for someone else. I feel like you had a real pretty woman moment because I was reading that, you know, all of these (laughs) publishers who were like, we don't want her and all these terrible things they were just saying out loud. Like you said, you know, books by black women don't sell. After your first book became a New York Times bestseller, they were like, why didn't you pitch it to us? It was like those Mm -hmm. two women in the shop on Rodeo Drive. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I think people just want to go with what's already been done before and then on top of that you have people's biases that really come out in a way that is really unfortunate and it not that I was shocked to hear those things I was just like you guys are so bold in 2015 say such ignorant things proudly and not even realize that what you're saying is out of control 
And so I definitely did have that sort of pretty woman moment. I think that's just kind of anyone who's in any sort of creative career. Like I think everyone is who makes it has been discouraged many times along the way. And then you always have that moment where you're like, I knew what I was talking about and you didn't. And so it, it feels good to, to know that trusting my gut was the right thing to do. have quite a bit of food related stories in your book. So I'm mm-hmm. going to read a couple of the little, I guess, like titles of some of the little essays. And if you could expound on them and tell a bit of the story. So um, on page 197, Phoebeism number five, eating a cough drop is for every occasion, not just when you're sick. <laughs> yeah, my poor boyfriend. I love having cough drops. I guess I'm already 65, even though I'm like 36. And usually like before bed, (laughs) we'll be like winding down, lights are off, time to go to sleep. And then he'll just hear me like trying quietly to unwrap a cough drop and like have one more, one more hit before bed. And he's like, oh my God, what is wrong with you? (laughs) How many do you eat over the course of a day? It all depends. Some days, nothing. And the other days I'll have like 20 and it's insane. It's just like, what is wrong? It's like not even like addictive. Like, I don't know why I'm like so into it, but it's very soothing for me. (laughs) And what is your cough drop of choice? Halls. And um, they have like, um, it's like Halls Defense and it has like citrus flavor. So it's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> You're a citrus gal, though, because you also like the orange Tic Tacs, which I always was like, who buys the orange Tic Tacs? And it's you. I do. It's, you. it's me. <laughs> um, will you talk about what you call your boyfriend and where the name comes from? Yes. Uh, so I call him British Bake Off um, because he's a British guy and he likes to bake. But we spell it B-A-E-K-O-F-F. So it's like bay off it's so silly but he works in music he works on the touring side and when we first started dating he was just sort of like yeah you know I know you do comedy and you have your podcast and stuff and he's like I still want to kind of remain like a private citizen so let's just use a code name when you talk about me and we sort of stuck with that even though he's not so intense about not saying his name publicly it's stuck and it's cute and it's fun so we we keep using it what does he bake for you what's your favorite thing Oh, he's really good at doing scones and a Victoria sponge cake. He's such really good at Brit. that stuff. I know. He <laughs> is such a Brit. <laughs> because he is British, you guys actually have some cultural differences with food. And so you said, turns out I don't know how to make tea. Oh, yeah. His whole family, like the first time I went overseas to meet them and I was like, oh, I'll just do like a green tea with honey. They were like, this is wild. (laughs) Um, This is not how one drinks tea. And I was like, what? This feels so normal to me. I'm like, you guys are acting like I said, let's put like prune juice or pickle juice in this. I'm like, it's just green tea with honey. It's Lipton and some honey. And they were just like, this is strange, but okay. You're American. We'll roll with it. I have learned. I know how to make his tea perfectly for for him. So that's that's my crowning achievement. He likes English breakfast tea with a spot of milk. Um, and that's the way that they take it. And they drink tea year-round, even in the summer. They love it. <laughs> have you taken on any British customs? Is there anything that he's introduced you to that you're like, yeah, I like this? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I do like doing afternoon tea. I never, 
<laughs> I never thought I'd be a person who would say that, but it's fun to just take two and a half hours to go sit somewhere and leisurely have cups of tea with like cucumber sandwiches and little biscuits and scones and jam and clotted cream and all that stuff. So that is a thing where like after a while, I'll be like, hey, babe, you just want to go somewhere? I'll have afternoon tea for a couple hours and I'm in there. I'm in there. Brits have been sipping tea with their pinkies up for centuries. But the tradition of an afternoon tea, which is a more formal event where you might get dressed up and you're going to eat little scones and crustless cucumber sandwiches off those tiered plates, that is relatively new. The story everyone seems to be going with is that it was introduced by Anna Maria, the seventh Duchess of Bedford in 1840. At that time, people usually only ate breakfast and dinner. And at Anna's house, dinner wasn't until 8 p.m. But like most normal people who start to crave a Snickers bar in the afternoon, Anna would get really hungry around four and develop what she called a, quote, sinking feeling. So she asked that a tray of tea, bread and butter and cake be brought to her room every day in the late afternoon. Eventually, it got weird eating cake in bed by herself. So she started inviting friends over to have an afternoon tea. And then those friends started having their own afternoon teas. And soon enough, it became a countrywide trend. Women would dress in long gowns and gloves and hats and gather together in the late afternoon to daintily eat cake. Afternoon tea hasn't really been a thing since after World War II. Nowadays, people don't do a formal afternoon tea at home. For that, you have to go to a fancy hotel and fork over quite a bit of money for tiny crustless sandwiches and little scones. It's okay, guys. I will recover from the $100 I spent seven years ago having afternoon tea in Victoria. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Phoebe Robinson's last meal. What would your last meal be? Oh, gosh, this is such a great question. And I always, you know, want to be like, it'll be this thing and that thing and blah, blah, blah. And like the I'm going to just say the best tacos I ever had in my life were at Ija de Sanchez in Copenhagen. What? It was so phenomenal. They are really, really good. She is... um. Uh, yeah, Rosio Sanchez. She's from Chicago. And we went to Copenhagen 2019, I think, to see you two, LOL. And I still think about those tacos like once a week. They're so good. And just like the avocados, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, the avocados are in Copenhagen are amazing. But they are. It's a great shop. It's like indoors. It probably sits like 10 people. And then outside they have like... A little bit more seating that probably seats like 20 people and we went one afternoon because that was one of the places our friend told us about and we just sat outside like on a Wednesday afternoon and just ate tacos until we were fully full and it's probably one of my most favorite meals of my life so I definitely want to do that again that's my last meal 
What kind of tacos were they? Are they? I think I did pork and then maybe I did some sort of fish taco. I was thriving. I was like, yes, here I am. (laughs) I feel like there's also something to eating a certain food in a certain place. You know, it's like you could eat Mm -hmm. spaghetti at home all the time. But when you're in Italy, it just tastes different because you're there. And I wonder if there's also something that there's such a juxtaposition or a shock about having really good tacos in Copenhagen that almost even makes them taste better because you would never expect to find them there. Yeah. We just went for a stroll and it was such a lovely day and the weather was perfect and we were just happy as clams just eating these tacos. It was it was really great. I want to go there. It looks like an amazing city. Yeah, it's so fun. It's so clean. It's really nice. Um, it was so funny though because like the only other black people there were also people in interracial relationships. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's how you get us here. Okay. <laughs> These are my people. It's summer camp for yeah. interracial relationships. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for her last meal, Phoebe Robinson wants tacos from Ija de Sanchez in Copenhagen, Denmark. My name is Rocio Sanchez. I have a few Mexican restaurants in Copenhagen. We have four. Hija de Sanchez Taqueria. Uh, There's two of those. And there's one that's just called Sanchez. That's the restaurant. And uh, the newest one is Hija de Sanchez Cantina. Rosio grew up in Chicago, the daughter of immigrant parents from Mexico. My mom is from uh, Guanajuato and my dad is from San Luis Potosí. After graduating from culinary school, she worked as a pastry chef at WD-50, which was this super trendy molecular gastronomy restaurant in New York City that has since closed. And then at a pretty young age, she was offered a job as a pastry chef at what has been called the best restaurant in the world, Noma in Copenhagen. And after six years of fine dining and high concept food, she took a break from pastry and decided to splash out on her own. Every year I went back home to Chicago and I was like, okay, I need to eat some tacos. (laughs) Let's go eat my favorite torta at this place. And I remember having all those cravings and a friend of mine was also saying like, I bet you could do it if you really wanted to. And this is something that we don't have here. And the idea was always to have like a small, typical taqueria, small, a kiosk type. So we started with the one in the the market that is literally like (laughs) the tiniest place you could think of. And we still have it. Just having a place where people can go to several times a week. Yeah, like a neighborhood restaurant. I love the idea of the neighborhood restaurant. You know, I grew up in Chicago on the west side in La Villita, right off of the the street that I lived on. There's so many taquerias, you know, when you're like, I'm going to go to my guy on this place, you know. Yeah. And I want us to be that guy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's developed into a really fun little community that we have. And I realized once we closed for the pandemic that I've created my own little villita (laughs) here in Copenhagen. I was so emotional. Like, I don't want us to close. Phoebe said that your tacos are the best tacos that she has ever had. And I just love that the best tacos in the world are in Copenhagen. So um, she said she definitely had the pork tacos. She thinks she had the fish tacos. Can you describe these dishes? I'm really happy she said that, by the way. Our goal was always to make like the best Mexican food we can make. Yeah, so the pork taco, we try to make like uh, carnitas. But with our recipe, we do like a special blend of Mexican spices. Um, So we slow cook the organic pork and then we kind of heat it up a little bit to give it a little more uh, crisp. And what else goes on the taco with the pork? Uh, Onion, coriander, and depending on where she went, it'll be a different salsa. Usually it's like a 
gooseberry, uh, chile salsa, or uh, roja, salsa roja, which is a, a spicy red chili salsa. So it's a pretty traditional like street taco where you just get the meat, the onion, the we call cilantro here, and the salsa. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we try to make it very traditional. We do have our moments of making different sort of inventions. But, you know, when you go somewhere when you don't have a lot of um, Mexican food, you kind of just want the classics. So we make sure that we always have that because that's the whole point of opening Hija de Sanchez was to kind of get that craving that I was looking for. Rosio ships chilies in from Mexico. But when she can't get the ingredients that she needs to make traditional Mexican food she will substitute with something local, which is how the gooseberry salsa was born. Gooseberries are quite similar to tomatillos. So we use them instead of tomatillos. Since we opened six years ago, it was a little bit of a problem finding really nice tomatillos. Like they were really sweet, actually. Hmm. So it was like, it tasted strange. Uh, so I started using gooseberries with tomatoes. I love it, actually. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's also cheese has been like a issue. But we, we do get it made for us. We get like a queso fresco made mm-hmm. from uh, one of the local farmers. And the dairy there is incredible, right? Best dairy. The best dairy you can have. You need to come here and have some ice cream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be the best ice cream you ever had. When you moved to Copenhagen 11 years ago, were there any other Mexican restaurants in the city? There were a few, but not <laughs> nothing that I wanted to eat. I grew up in California, and so I consider myself kind of a Mexican food snob. Uh, and so when I've traveled around the world, you do get to a point where you're like, all I want is a taco. I've eaten local food for two weeks, and I just want one. And oh, my God, is Mexican food bad in other parts of the world? I mean, I've had it in you know Japan. I've had it in Peru. As someone who you know went to another country and is making Mexican food, why do you think it's so hard to get it right? It's because you don't have the same ingredients as you do in Mexico or in California, or where I grew up in Chicago, it's very difficult. Not having the right tomatoes, the cheese, the most important thing is a tortilla, of course, because you have so much flavor of that nixtamal. The basis for that is what we do every day. We make the nixtamal every day. All the other stuff is like, you know, local Danish uh, organic meats and vegetables. And we do our best to hit those flavors because... You know, Mexico is so beautiful, the, the, the food and cuisine is so rich that it's impossible to really do that outside of Mexico. But we try our best so that people, especially in Europe, that they taste really nice Mexican food. You know, you and I have tasted really shitty Mexican food. <laughs> and it's not a good representation. It's not a good representation of the culture and the food and all the work that all those centuries has gone into it. I felt the after so many years of working for other people and other cuisines... I felt that maybe I could dedicate my time and energy to uplifting that to Europe. And I think we've done a really good job at that. Would you have done the whole process of nixtamalizing your own corn if you were still in the States? Or is that something that you had to do out of necessity? We had to do that out of necessity. We need masa. So how are we going to get masa? And uh, I started to make all these trials with different corn. Initially, I thought I would just get the corn from somewhere in Europe. And then I realized the flavor is very different and it cooks very differently. And it was just this whole revelation like, oh, my God, I need to get the corn from Mexico. (laughs) So now we import the corn from Mexico and we always have. Had I opened, let's say, in Chicago or California, I mean, there's so many places that already make nixtamal. You don't need to go through all that effort if someone is doing that. But we do that. And I think it's, it's actually really amazing to do because you hold so much appreciation for so many things. And even if it's just a taco, you kind of 
remember all of that work that goes into it and you appreciate that much more. I think a lot of people don't know what nixtamalization is and, you know, what goes into making masa. So can you explain the whole process of how that works? It's taking uh, calcium hydroxide or, you know, it used to be done with ashes and you soak the corn with this limestone and you cook it. Uh, and then we let it rest overnight so that it can absorb all of the liquid and nutrients and, and become something that you can actually digest. Mm. Uh, the next day, once it's set, we grind it with a stone grinder, which we have as well. And there you'll get the masa, the dough after that. And you have to really go through all this process to really get the nice masa. Not only does the corn taste different in Europe, but the temperature and the elevation in Copenhagen is different than it is in Mexico or even Chicago. So Rosio said she's had to do a lot of experimentation to get the masa just right. So it sounds like there was like a little bit of education that had to be done. And maybe you still have to do this. I read that at first people would call the tortillas pancakes. Are there things that you still have to explain? You know, this is how you eat it. This is what this is. Yeah. And I think that's also um, cultural. At first, I was like, why are they calling them pancakes? And I think that's just like the closest term that, that is recognizable. Yeah, it's circle uh, bread. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at first, I, w- I mean, I was so young and naive and like, oh, this is so irritating. You know, it's not a pancake, it's a tortilla. And then I, I realized that that first year, you know, that we are in a position of education and we still are. And we have to keep reminding our team that because Guests that come in to eat with us still need to be told how to eat something. In this culture, you're used to eating so much with cutlery. Eating with your hands is not at all common. So we have to really push for that, but not in a way that's like condescending. You know, I always try to remind our staff that we don't want to alienate people or make people feel less than. That's not how you do it. We want people to feel comfortable with it. And the fact that people are trying and are coming, I think, is really fantastic. Do you ever see anyone using a knife and a fork to eat a taco? All the time. Even now. Even now. Just try to be gentle about it and say, you know, just so you know, this is also like eating with your hands. Maybe older Danish people, older European that are not comfortable and they're not going to do it. And that's fine. As long as it gets in their mouth. And as long as they're trying it, I think that's a big step. Turns out Mexican food is very different from Danish food. Classic Danish food is, I would say, quite bland. Mm. (laughs) Um, You know, you don't have a lot of spices and chile in in it at all. Usually it's maybe like potatoes, something starchy, uh, meat. It's a country that hasn't been known for its cuisine. Uh, Recently it, it has been for all these like modern restaurants. But it doesn't have a history of like as a culture of enjoying food. It's, you know, it's been like a culture that is enjoys food for sustenance. Hmm. So that reflects a lot in the flavors. But if you were to come here, I would say the classic thing that people are looking for is like open face sandwiches, perhaps. Oh, yeah. So like rye bread, maybe a potato salad on top or chicken or like a pork cutlet. One of the biggest challenges is getting local people to eat spicy food. The chili thing is a big thing, to be honest. I wish that most of them could enjoy something that's really spicy and love it. You know, I think it's it's getting better and I'm really happy that it's getting better. I've noticed it definitely from like the first year opening to now where the first year would be like, this is too spicy or I don't want to eat this and or give me something else. So now it's a lot better and I'm really, I'm really proud of that. After the break, we'll be back with Phoebe Robinson. 
I asked her the question that we should all be asking ourselves. What would you make John Hamm for dinner? We'll be right back. Before the pandemic, Phoebe and her boyfriend, British Bake Off, both traveled constantly for work, which meant they didn't eat that many meals in their home kitchen. So like everybody in entertainment, they got to try out a more domestic lifestyle over the past 18 months. You finally have your first adult kitchen. Is that right? Yeah, we have, you know, we got the dishwasher. Okay. We got all our our plates matched. We have a soda stream and an instant pot. So we really have grown up. And then I read this article in 2016 that you said you were entering your goop phase then, that you were trying to be healthier. Um, I was wondering what phase you would say you are in now, that you are five years older than you were in 2016. I am fully in my Peloton phase. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. We we bought the Peloton bike. You know, we live in a New York City apartment, so it's literally right next to our bed. And I love Peloton. I use the yoga classes, the meditation, a little strength training, some outdoor walking and jogging. So fully, I'm fully committed to Peloton. When you were on the Sporkful a couple years ago, you said that you stress eat vegetables and fruit, which I thought like now with your Peloton phase, I mean, you're just so healthy. Is that something that you still do? If you're stressed, do you stress eat carrots? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not. And that's that was a fool. I was a fool then. Okay, I stress eat like bags of chips. Like that's my thing. Okay, because I was like, who is she? Yeah, no, that was that was younger me. And then older me is just like, girl, eat those chips, eat those cookies. Like, do you? So I don't know now that you have your bay, if you still harbor a love for John Ham like you used to. Is the ham love still there? I still love John Ham. He's such a delight. He did my um, podcast over quarantine last year. He's such a sweetheart. He's so funny. I, I will love him forever. I was thinking like if you were going to make something for John Ham, what would you make him? Like what would be your ultimate Phoebe John Ham date? Oh, I'd be like. Can I take you to Nobu? I don't cook. <laughs> I am going to use my Amex points and I'm going to take him to Nobu. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that was Phoebe Robinson's last meal. Thank you so much, Phoebe. Congratulations on your new book and the imprint and everything and your new show. You have so much going on right now. And um, I'm going to be your mom and say, I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. This was so fun. And truly, I want to hear what you think if you ever get the chance to go to Copenhagen and eat those tacos, because I think you'll like them. I'm going to put it on my list because funny enough, another guest chose some. Copenhagen and he chose hot dogs and I'm like what's mm. Copenhagen is hot dogs and tacos it's basically like a fourth year's <laughs> birthday party <laughs> <laughs> that, that's I think an accurate summary <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you were in Copenhagen to see an Irish band eating Mexican food I know I isn't that what's great about life you can combine literally everything yeah. at once and it's amazing with your yeah. British boyfriend yep everyone's there yes <laughs> <laughs> thank you Phoebe take care Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Make sure and pick up a copy of her new book. It's called Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes. 
You can find a link to the book in the show notes. Thank you so much to Rosio Sanchez, chef owner at Ija de Sanchez, and three other restaurants that have similar names. You can find a link to her restaurants in the show notes. And if you want more Copenhagen, go back and listen to my interview with Phil Rosenthal. He's the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond and the star of Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. And Phil loves a Copenhagen-style hot dog. They have raw onions and fried onions. They have their pickles. They have different sauces for different... Mmm, I'm getting hungry thinking about it. Your Last Meal is produced by Laura Scott and me. Original theme music by Prom Queen. And now it's time for my usual spiel that I never want to do, but I feel I have to do. Please follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Hello, Rachel Bell, B-E-L-L-E. If you want to support the show, you don't have to give us any money. All you need to do is tap out five stars if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or write out a little review. It does help get the show out to more people. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Brits have been Brits. <laughs> Brits have been sipping. Brits have been sipping tea with their pinkies up for. Se- After the break, we'll be back with more Phoebe Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Ah.